Where do the movies that we love come from? As you wish. Do they come from some magical place that we ordinary folks can only dream of? May the force be with you. Are they made by people of genius that we can never understand? Oh, Captain, my Captain. Or do they come from people just like me and you? I'm Batman. The family man or woman who goes to the nine to five job every day, but is secretly an undercover artist. An undercover artist whose secret identity is crying out to be revealed. Three years ago, two regular guys began working on a script of a movie that they hoped would be something original. I got an idea, Joe. And something they could produce on their own. Hello, With virtually no resources at their disposal, they were in a difficult position. But with determination and a steadfast dedication to their goal, they made their dream a reality. Look at all those cans. Mike Morgan and Darren Doyle, who are together known as the Nuevo Brothers, released this film in May of this year. Jason and I were fortunate enough to come across it just after its release, and we are honored to have them as guests on our show. And, you know, this might be their only time ever to be able to do this. That's, that happens. He's had canners kill each other over cans. There's something very cinematic about a bicycle. And uh, 80% of your film is done in the casting. Getting to a point where we were writing scripts with, I guess, this idea that, you know, someone was going to come with a wand and make it happen for us. You almost fell into the lake at least twice. We spent a lot of time trying to find people that would help us get stuff off the ground. And ultimately speaking, you just need to go out and just do it yourself. Gotta be a self-starter. Gotta do it by yourself. Just make crappy little five-minute videos, do something, because Calvary isn't coming. To answer your question, we made a conscious decision. We said, we're not gonna write anything else, and we're not gonna make. This is it. If we had settled, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. About three-fourths into the movie, we hit a wall. Since that time, they have earned the following awards. Finalist of the 2020 Hollywood First Time Filmmaker Showcase, winner of the Scream It Off Screen 2020, and winner of the Creation International Film Festival for Best Comedy Short, Best Editing, and Judge's Choice. We hope you enjoy this special edition of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. My God, it's for the cans. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody. We're here for the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Today is a special edition. We have two gentlemen with us today. Typically what we do is we go and look at movies from our past. We look at movies from the 80s or the 90s, music from the 80s or the 90s. We've had posts on Facebook that, you know, what would you think about this movie being remade or that movie being remade? And almost everyone says, you know what, Hollywood needs to do something original. Well, we're with a couple of guys today that did something original, and they did it on a budget of next to nothing, and we are super excited that they are here. They have put together a short film that involves greed, murder, and the poverty-stricken, and surrounds that with ideas of God and the chosen, and wraps it all in the story of the goose that laid the golden egg and it's just it's a masterpiece especially considering that these guys put this together for only two thousand dollars i was blown away when you guys told me how much that cost to make so we are here with our special guests the creators of the movie canners darren doyle and mike borgen how you doing very good how are you guys doing 
Thanks for having us. Yeah, we love having you here. First, let's go back and tell us how you guys met. Yeah, um, we met in Nuevo playing hockey. That's where we, we formed our, uh, our friendship. That's where we uh, came up with the name for ourselves, the Nuevo Brothers. Uh, well, not only does it, that's where we met, but it also means new and novel. So that was kind of cool. I'm really impressed. You've taken an old idea and made something very new and very unique about it. And I think it's fantastic. Mike, you have a video company, correct? Yeah, I own Feed Me Media, which basically freelance from I did a wedding days ago and you know, corporate and anything in between event, photography, videography, okay. international pizza expo, <laughs> that stuff. And Darren, what about you? What's your nine to five? I work for a wholesale alarm monitoring company, pays the bills. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so do you guys, are, do you have families? Are you married, kids, anything like that? I've got um, a long, long-term girlfriend. Uh, yeah. Darren's got a long-term girlfriend as well. Mike's my long-term girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when I call it, when I'm talking to Jason on the phone, my wife will come in and she's like, are you talking to your girlfriend? And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, my, my girlfriend says the same thing, tongue in cheek, of course. Um, Cause I feel I could do better to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm settling as well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. what's the ultimate goal for you guys? Do you guys want to be big time Hollywood uh, directors and that type of thing? Aaron, what's your... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so shallow. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'd love to have the ability to be able to tell stories, the stories I want to tell with the people I want to tell the stories with. That would be ideal. We don't necessarily care about Hollywood and the insular you know, industry itself that really hard to get into it and you know, break in and make the right friends and all that. I don't know if you guys ever saw the Mark Duplass interview called The Calvary Isn't Coming. He made a really poignant speech at South by Southwest talking about got to be a self-starter. You got to do it by yourself. Just make crappy little five-minute videos, do something because the Calvary isn't coming. And it shows the evolution of his steps of how they made short films and they got into film festivals, one with this crappy thing. And then boom, next thing you know, he's working with Jason Siegel and getting big budget you know, now he has a show, he did The League on FX, and he does a show called Room 104, I believe it's called, on HBO. So he climbed his way up as an outsider. So that's kind of our goal. And with the way COVID's going, and uh, it's kind of leveraging power of the creators, because there's not even a movie theater to show your exhibit anyway. So if people are willing to put in the elbow grease and they're willing to sacrifice their time and effort, they actually can make something really cool. Before I knew what you guys had done, I had talked to my, my oldest boy is like me. He's an actor and, and into those kind of things. And I said to him, you know, like things are different now. Like every, every human being walks around with a video camera in their hand and you can put your movies out to the public, like to the entire world through YouTube, like you guys have done. And who knows what can happen? You, you, there are people out there who are making really just trash who watchers and listeners are just listening to. And so if you're able to put together something quality, it's not as restrictive as it used to be back when we were kids, back when you had oh, yeah. to break into Hollywood to, to make a name for yourself. The gatekeepers are being uh, slowly kicked out. You know, it's the power is being leveraged creator. But people at the same time have very short attention span. So it's really tough to A, get somebody to sit down for more than three minutes and B, actually, as you say, have something original and content worthy. You can get, what, 200,000 views on TikTok if you're cute, 
you know, or something, but breaking in is really hard and getting people to care and take the time. But from our experience, if people actually sit down and take the time, they actually either they love it or they don't care. There's no really in the middle with our movie so far. Right. Well, we're, our listenership is going to be mostly guys, mostly guys, number one, but guys who are, who are in our age range who are not, I mean, we're not watching TikTok videos. We're, we're looking for something that's more substantial and to have somebody out there who is trying to do it on their own is really exciting. I love the idea of original work. I need to, at this point, encourage those other undercover artists that are out there. These guys have done it and they've made something really high quality. Number one, go look at what they've done. And number two, go do it yourself. You know, go, go make something awesome because the only restriction is the restriction that you're putting on yourself at this point. Absolutely. I agree. Why don't you guys, if, if you don't mind, describe for those who haven't seen your video, you know, what it is, what you've done, what you're attempting to do, and just kind of tell us a little bit about it. What we attempted to do, and I think what we accomplished, was to try and make a film within the restraints that were put in front of us. We had no permits, so this whole film was shot guerrilla-style filmmaking. We shot it mostly in Long Beach, and it was a blessing in the sense that the police department, the few times we rubbed up against them, they really had no problem with us doing what we were doing. And getting back to your original point in that in this day and age, everybody's going around with cameras and stuff like that. We were using a DSLR camera and it's not conspicuous and we weren't very conspicuous. Everybody who saw us thought we were making a, um, a documentary, documentary following homeless people. people. Yeah. yeah. So. But right away, we, and this was like on the first day, our first interactions with people, they thought right away, immediately, we were making a documentary, I guess. And that proved, you know, proof of concept that, you know, it was believable that Joe was a believable homeless person. That. With the makeup and the, and the costume. Right. right. So there was authenticity there. So we were very happy with that right away. But getting back to your point in regards to what we were trying to do here, we were trying to make a film to kind of highlight all of our influences, which is every filmmaker's first film is usually a hodgepodge of their influences. And a lot of it was, you know, self-gratification too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, this might be our only time ever to be able to do this. This is a moment in time that's very special. And we wanted to capture the shots we wanted to capture, you know. could Canner's been told in five minutes, maybe, but I don't think it would have been effective, as effective as telling a really true, fleshed out kind of classic storytelling. Like we, we drew upon Aesop, we drew upon the Bible. Like the first time we were throwing around these characters of Cowboy and Joe, we kind of just applied like Cain and Abel as a Cain and Abel story, you know? One seems to be doing better than the other and one is jealous of the other because, not necessarily because one is, you know, better than the other. It's just one is just going about it more clever, more genuine, more resourceful than the other, you know? And as a result, you have resentment. A schism occurs but a lot of this story was kind of created, was engineered in such a way of being able to just being able to execute what was on paper to yeah, film. We, you know, we tailored, um, tailored the story to what we had access to. We exactly. had access to friends that could help. We had his brother, his brother Pat, that played inventor, and he was he wasn't doing that. He was running security or 
getting surly or um, wrangling the dog. I mean, he had many, many jobs and all the costumes could be bought and purchased, made cheaply. Go to your thrift store. You can buy all that stuff dirt cheap. And then we distressed it at home, got everything ourselves. Backyard became the studio. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just to touch on, on those ideas, and I, I want to, I really want to encourage all of our listeners to go, to go have a look at this. The first time that I watched this movie, I just kind of was like soaking in the quality of the shots, the quality of the acting, the quality of the script, the quality of the soundtrack. And it was upon the the second viewing that I went, oh my gosh, they've really got some some deep layers here. And you've got your inventor that was played by your brother, who to me is is kind of the the deity character who has he's he's hanging out next to Cowboy, who is the one who has found favor with God. And so he's that's why God's next to him. And then and then Joe, your protagonist in this thing scoffs at the notion that he's the inventor of the internet. He scoffs at God and that's, that kind of falls into that whole Cain and Abel of, you know, cowboy is just loving life and living it up and has found favor with God. Whereas Joe who keeps beating his head against the wall is alone and struggling against the world pouring down upon him. And I just was like, Dad, gum. This is this is really solid stuff. To write a good story is hard enough, but to write a good story that throws back to biblical concepts, to fables of the past, all of those great conversation ideas is really something impressive. And I'm, I, good job. How about that? I'm just going to say, <laughs> good job. Well, well done. Well done. Wow, James. I wish I could like keep you around, man, and like pull you out anytime I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that, James. And, you know, this was three years of of a lot of hard work. And we were definitely drawing upon all of our influences. And we wanted to make something that was meaty and had layers. We love The Simpsons. And depending on your how sophisticated your palate is in regards to different things, depends on how far in on the joke you get. You know, if you if you can like you know, get the references and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we set out to make a film to highlight all of these different elements and layers, but like everything, how, you know, how the the audience, how the individual views it, it's subjective, you know, and it's not wrong. It's, it's how you view it. It's how, it's how you connect the dots. And that's great that, you know, you saw that in those few opening scenes, you know, in the interaction between, you know, Patrick and uh, my brother. And by the way, that's my brother, Patrick, um, <laughs> who played the inventor uh, with Pookie. The dog. Yeah, the dog, who um, was a pleasure to work with. She <laughs> <laughs> worked for scale. The funny thing is, like, on top of the allegory to the Bible, you know, I saw it as also the other layer is... It's a microcosm of what's going on around the water cooler. You know, this is their world. This is, you know, the streets are their water cooler and they have, they all have their friends. They all have their politics. They all have their kinship. And basically Joe is kind of out of his luck. You know, he hasn't really figured things out. doesn't have the personality to get things done. And Cowboy's a very affable, smart, work smart, not hard kind of guy. And, uh, you know, at all rungs of business and life, you're going to have winners and you're going to have losers. So that's kind yeah. of the way I saw it too. 
And just to just to kind of lay lay the foundation a little bit here, the 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 idea of canners is this is based on something. This is a real group of people that exist out in the world. Um, back in the early '80s, they started having deposits on cans and bottles, so that if you returned those things, you got cash back. Well, most folks didn't care enough to do that, and so those trash that trash got thrown out. And what would happen is these canners would come in they'd take other people's trash and they would turn it into their to cash for themselves and there there's there there are human beings who live in New York City which has the highest cost of living in the country who live on being a canner they they i mean they go and get it and get paid for it as they go and it's it's a fascinating thing that even though this might be a uh, class of society that everyone else looks down upon, they're really doing the, they, they're involved in the exact same struggle that all of us are involved in, whether you're middle class or high class, it's all about whether fortune shines upon you or not, and what you're willing to do to protect your livelihood. It's fantastic. And that, and that really exists, especially here in California too. Uh, we met <laughs> several can like, when we shot at the uh, recycling center, that, those were not actors. That was real people, real can. <laughs> those are real canners. And by the grace of God, uh, we were able to shoot there without any problems. Everybody was cool. They didn't look into the camera. They didn't ruin any shots. They just did their thing. And you would have thought we set that place up to look like a Hollywood set with background actors. Now they just doing their own thing. And it was um, from the accounts of when we got the okay to shoot there in Wilmington, which is a Real rough city outside of Long Beach. Real rough. Um, the, the owner of the facility was telling us that, yeah, he loved the script. And that's, that happens. He's had canners kill each other over cans, over, you know, real yeah. deal confrontations. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's, that's happened out here. So, I mean, this is not some people think, oh, it's so far-fetched. Uh, <laughs> some people say, oh, they wouldn't. They don't talk like that. They don't act like that. Well, they do. And it happens. And it's. You know, it's not always pretty, but part of the story, you know, it's real. The, um, just to touch on kind of the, the technical side of things, now that I've gushed over your story abilities a little bit, um, you know, you guys, you guys shot this thing for $2,000 and that you relied upon people willing to work for you, even though you have had limited experience as directors of a short film, um, that that they're willing to do that for you is impressive number one but number two even with that just to give some perspective to our listeners you shot this for two thousand dollars in 2000 and what 2018 money i guess and so just for for some perspective steven spielberg his first short film which is called amblin he shot it for i believe it was fifteen thousand dollars Sure. But that was 1968, $15,000, which is a, basically about $135,000 today. It is, I mean, the, the, the notion that you did this for so little money, comparatively speaking, I'd much rather go watch your movie. I've seen Amblin. It's <laughs> experimental. <laughs> it's just not that great. And, and, and to draw another, to draw another comparison, you guys have done something with this that Steven Spielberg did do. He didn't use any dialogue in his, um, 
in his movie at all and in, in Amblin at all. It's another, you know, roughly 30 minute long movie. You guys have done a 30 minute long movie and it seems like a lot of folks who are doing short films these days. Um, there's a term called mumblecore because there's just, it's so heavily packed with dialogue that a guy and a girl on a couch talking about the relationship. Nobody wants to listen to that. You guys, you guys have, I, I can't imagine that the actual, you know, script of dialogue is more than five to 10 pages long. Most of it had to have been about the shots and the story because there's just not that much conversation between the characters. It's really more of a visual storytelling. And then of course, just like Amblin has, it has a fantastic backing soundtrack. Well, that's probably influenced by the fact that we didn't have money to afford a real town guy. So kind of <laughs> tailored that a little down too. In fact, uh, I was the only person that got paid a uh, hired hand, uh, 200 bucks a day, right Baron? 200 bucks. Yeah, two hundred bucks. Um, Three for days. Sound guy. Um, for some crucial scenes, we wanted to have a sound guy there, so there would be no messing around. Um, so we had to have a sound guy, and yeah, that was pretty much the only person we had to pay on the project. Um, everybody else um, worked um, solely on the fact that they liked the project; they wanted to be part of it. Um, so you guys have, I've seen in descriptions that you have out of out, out there of this film that you've got a Twilight Zone if directed by the Coen brothers. You didn't have a desk in this movie, so I, I don't know that I would agree. I think every Coen brothers movie has a guy behind a desk at some point. Uh, so. Cowboy's bike is his desk. That's where he runs his business. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Yeah, we'll go with that. So... We know that this movie came out, was it January that you put it up? We, we officially released it May 1st, 2020. And it took you two years from the time that you started shooting, is that right? Correct. We worked on the script. We started in like September of 2017, and it was done by like Christmas around 2017, leading into January 2018. The script actually was one of the quickest scripts that came together for us. We wrote two other scripts before this, and this one came together. It didn't come together overnight, but it came together quicker. Much quicker. Yeah. So, um, so let's back up just a bit before that. Then, what's the? I mean, and it's probably multiple, but what's the conversation that you have with each other that you say we need to make this movie? We're however many years old it's time for us to make this movie we need pretty to. much how do you, how do you feel about well, it getting to a point where we were writing scripts with i guess this idea in our heads that you know someone was going to come with a wand and make it happen for us if we wrote a really good script it was going to happen you know um and like everything but what made us want us to tell the story it was just out of the fact that we were able to do it we were able to execute an idea versus our other ideas would require a lot more help, a lot more money to be able to get it done. So we decided that this was going to be the story. This was it. Canners was going to be it because we saw that, okay, we could afford everything involved. We can afford the props or we have them already. We can get it done. It'll still have a visual flair because it has bicycles. There's movement. We'll find great locations and we can make it happen. And a lot of people, it's funny, um, after the fact, they had written me emails, like four-page emails going, man, like, it's like you saw my life. Uh, my mom was a, worked at the post office for 30 years and mailman. I said, hey, man, check out when you're done, you know, as a family friend. And he didn't get back to me for like three weeks. 
And then I finally asked him, and he says, I grew up poor. I grew up collecting cans. There was a cowboy. Somebody got to jump on my cans. So, like, this really hit home. And the same guy that John Racino that provided us the score for the music, which was huge in the movie Cal State Northridge, where we got the music, we got um, Planets, what was it? Jupiter. He said, when I grew up in New York, when I heard that sound of the printer at the scrap metal when I was a kid, like it brought me back. Like I really was there. Certain people it resonates with stories. You know, unfortunately, some people have never, you know, I haven't had that hard of a life where I've collected hands for a living. But some people have. Some people, like, they don't know that life, so they don't think it's unbelievable. I thought we breathed life into these characters that you actually believe them. You don't think they're just cookie board cutouts. And it's not like we, we didn't try to get preachy in the movie. We didn't try to leave a message after the beat. We just tried to, hey, this is their life. This is who they are. This is what they deal with. It's got to be watchable. It's not a movie if it's not watchable and if other people can't enjoy it who are not like your mom and your brother, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who don't have this obligation to tell you like it's it's good. So we definitely, <laughs> you know, we wanted to get out there and 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 tell a story, you know, and we weren't going to wait anymore for people to, you know. Getting somebody to read your script. Yeah. You know? Try, try to get somebody to read your script. People that were part of this project didn't even read the script. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so, we made it to answer your question. We made a conscious decision. We said we're not going to write anything else that we're not going to make. This is it. We're not. We've wasted three, four years of coming up with great ideas that are never going to see the light of day without a budget. So we said this is it. Let's make something watchable, entertaining, funny, yet has heart, and hopefully we can pull it off. And people trusted our vision. If anything, we have passion. We know what we want to do. We have a goal. We're not like figuring it out as we go. We were very calculated. So people that we reached out for actors and crew, they they got it. They knew that we weren't just playing around, even though we didn't have a necessarily track record like you suggested. So you've written the script. What's the next step? Did you storyboard it before you started talking to people or what? what happened next? After 42 yeah. revisions of that script, <laughs> we went out and we started to location scout and that's where a lot of the redrafts came in because we were finding better places and we could incorporate these places and enhance the story and tell more of a story but our first step pretty much after we wrote the screenplay was just getting the ducks in a row so to speak of where we're going to shoot we wanted to have all of that done before we even approached actors so when we cast our actors and we were on location we were intimate with the location we knew what the light was like during the day we knew what the traffic was like we knew if there was going to be a lot of people hanging around we pretty much knew what the actors were going to wear we had our bikes where bikes were already being designed during the process of us starting to find out where we were going to hold auditions. And by the time we got to casting, the ones that were coming to audition, unfortunately, just weren't up to par. So we really had to rethink what we were going to do. So we started to reach out to Backstage, which is uh, an online database of actors. And it's pretty cool because it partitions which actors are SAG or which actors are non-union. Knowing that we couldn't go with SAG actors, we went with non-union actors. We held our first audition at the Garage Theater in Long Beach. And that's where we uh, we got Cowboy. That's where we, we first discovered 
Curtis <laughs> Cutler. And man, he was. <laughs> he blew in like a wind. <laughs> yeah, he just came in and he just owned that role. Like he came in with such energy and such bravado, and he just owned that role. Like that. He didn't just great. like in the movie. He didn't know the lines. He was just kind of improvising, being <laughs> Burtis. And we ended up changing some of the script to accommodate his humor and his character. I came in with a bike cut and with the, the, the patches saying, don't, we don't call 911. Like, I'm coming with my guns. And he's from Texas. He's a former military vet. And he's, he's the real deal. He has a groundlings background acting. So oh, improv. Wow. Yeah. And we, we had actors that thought they had this sewed up for, and they're just like, okay, well, I'll be leaving now because that guy is your cowboy. Like, they just left. Like, it's kind of stole. like you know when the devil laid down the fiddle by his feet. <laughs> like, everybody knew like, this guy was going to be cowboy, you know. <laughs> he was. It's kind of like when you hear when um, when Slim Pickens shows up at Doctor Strange Love set, and everybody thinks like he's already in costume, but like nah, that's what he just wears, you know. So <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like he just he showed up like cowboy, but that's that's just the way he is, and uh, he's awesome. He's, 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 he's a hell of a character and has quite a story, quite a history. Um, he was uh, wounded in, um, in Iraq. He was in the Navy. And um, yeah, he's a fighter. He's a fighter. He's going to bury us all. Uh, James, to answer your question, uh, we did do storyboards. Very rudimentary, crudely drawn. Didn't really help out much at all because because of the situations. It was not controlled, so we kind of had to improvise and call it out as we saw it on the set, on location. So, yeah, we did have storyboards, but they weren't very much help in reality. So, you had your you had your script. You had your not very useful storyboards. You had your locations. Um, Don't forget about had, the low budget. Yeah, and you had your cowboy. So, we so had our far, deficiencies. Yeah. <laughs> so, so far, other than the equipment that you already own, you're still you're still pretty well operating for free. But there's there was a casting issue with Joe. Is that right? Yeah, we made the rudimentary mistake of nearly insinuating that one of the theater guys caught the part. He looked the part. He looked kind of like a well-fed wino. He was he he looked like he could be on the streets, and at that point we reached out to every theater you could try to, and it was a big waste of time. They're they're just they're, they're not into it. They're not up the caliber, and they're not they're not interested. Um, they're all into their own hustle. Like the theaters, they weren't very uh, helpful as far as getting us in the right place. But we had a guy that I'll, I'll leave unnamed unnamed, but we had him come in and read opposite like cowboys and other characters to get the script going. And we quickly realized that, okay, this is not going to work. I'm not about to put two years of work into something that from the outgo isn't going to work. Was it Ridley Scott and uh, 80% of your film is done in the casting? So by casting the right people, we had to have a second casting call for Joe. That's where we met Kent Hatch. And uh, he has the look, has the chops. He kind of looks like Jeremy Irons. He's got a lot of a lot of credits on his IMDb. And he was legit. He had just been offered to do like a Charlie Manson movie. And he asked us questions. Like, how serious are you guys are you going to be able to pull this off you know, the last movie we worked on it was they weren't ready they weren't this that whatever so we had to give him assurances that we were ready we did the work we were ready to go to work and we put him and cowboy together on the second rehearsal and we knew we were ready to go with our two leads and then we held our second audition at a different theater in long beach and that's where we got the rest of our actors that we were going to cast Chang, there was, we had another actor originally to play Chang's role. Unfortunately, 
he decided he wasn't going to be in the film and then we had to recast and that's where we got Jimmy May to play Chang. And some stuff then, too. His resume, he's been in like one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh yeah, he's been actor. in stuff. Yeah, he's been in like these- uh, Kendrick sorry, Lamar. Yeah, he was in one of his music videos and like always like very like, you know, front and center. Never has any dialogue though. He was gonna break out to talk. <laughs> he had roles in- uh, <laughs> Sunny, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's the crazy gambling Asian guy. So he's, he's been on TV. He's been wow. on films. He just never had a chance to, to have a you know, bigger role. We also had two other possible Joes and uh, little tips for filmmakers out there. <laughs> One guy was picking my brain about all the props that we had on the film. He said, oh, I got that. I got this. He's like a longtime character actor. He says he lived out in Skid Row the night before. He was great. He was he was awesome. <laughs> yeah, he, he was 100% dedicated, but he had this cheesy B kind of like look and feel. It just wasn't real. And another guy from the first minute, he comes in, you guys got enough bus fare to get me home? Like, yeah, like from the first 10 seconds, if they're a pain in the butt, then you know it's going to be a good chance. They're not going to be <laughs> worth working for 30 days. Oh, we got lucky. We got real lucky with Kent. Yeah. You so, know, that kind of, that leads me to a question. What did you learn that you can pass on to, to other sort of guerrilla filmmakers, you know, through this process? I would have stayed clear <laughs> of theater actors. Cut off the theater altogether. It's a waste of time. And, you know, I, have you guys seen that, that documentary about Alejandro Jodorowsky? Do you guys know who he is? He was going to, he was the guy that originally was going to make Dune. Okay. Jodorowsky's uh, Dune is the, the documentary. It was a really cool documentary. He was a very experimental Chilean filmmaker, and he made a film called Holy Mountain. But Judorowsky was all about spiritual warriors, finding spiritual warriors. You could spend a lot of a lot of wasted time looking for spiritual warriors. Like they'll find you, so to speak. It like it happens. Like if you set your focus, like things happen. Like. God will make it happen. You know, if you really want it to happen, like things will start to happen. We spend a lot of time trying to win people over and trying to find people that would help us get stuff off the ground. And ultimately speaking, you just need to go out and just do it yourself. That's what I would say. Like, forget about trying to get freebies or trying to get help from other people because everybody's got their own hustle. Everybody's trying to do their own thing. And rightfully so. I'm not saying there's anything bad about it, but ultimately speaking, you have to just pretty much do it yourself and be realistic, have realistic goals and make sure you're able to manage other people's expectations. Because one of the things that we were up against too was initially we're told from the actors once they get the role, uh, however long this takes, we got all year guys, we got all year. This is the first thing from, sorry, this is the first thing from the actors. Oh, we got all year, we'll get this. And then, like, once they're around trash for about eight hours, they're like, so how long is this shoot going to be? Like, what, what are we talking about here? Like, coming up, and I got this, and I got that. So you have those pressures, too. So you have to be able to manage those expectations. And that's what I was getting back to originally. We made sure that we had as much work as we possibly could done before we went out and started to shoot one frame of this thing because we knew that once we got out there, not everyone, even if they're in the film, is a spiritual warrior. This is not their baby, so to speak. This is your baby. They're here to facilitate it, but they're not going to be here for a year 
or two years or three years. They're here to do their job and then they're out. Well, real quick, if I can backtrack to say one quick succinct thing about what I learned. Yeah. Just make something, get it on film, show people, have a proof of concept because nobody wants to help you if you're a nobody and no name. They're not going to volunteer their time and rightfully so. Who are you? You're just another guy with a camera. But once we showed people this movie, all the doors are opening up. All of a sudden, people that wouldn't want to give me their time, oh, I'll do storyboards for you. Oh, I'll help with this. I'll help with that. So if you have a proof of concept, which this whole point of the movie was, to show that, hey, you can write, deliver, produce a concept. So my biggest recommendation is do something that you're proud of that are going to attract people because at the end of the day, brick by brick, you're assembling a crew brick by brick. We're trying to build up a crew. So we go on to the next project and the next one and maybe the next one. And then we'll start big time of people. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, yeah. I, just to touch on that, and I'm with you. I think that's awesome. You guys took a concept, you made it happen, you created something, and, and you know, you're out there and you're succeeding. And that's great. Dee and I can relate to that. About six months ago, we had this idea of doing a podcast. We had no experience. Try a year and six months ago, bro. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we've been podcasting for six months but yeah but uh yeah we thought nobody but our mom would listen to this too you know and uh and we've we're having some success and it's it's thrilling you know it's it's exciting that people are enjoying your work and, and enjoying what we're doing and it's you guys are making it happen so yeah, it's exciting to find like-minded people right that's the whole goal people yeah. that are on the same wavelength that's the that's the key I'm going to tell you this. I'm not, what was the term you used? Big time. Yeah, big time. I'm not big time. I'm not, I'm the opposite of big time. I'm small time. I'm not even small time. I'm no time. But legit, I was, I was listening to a podcast this morning that has a fascinating, almost Coen Brothers type of feel to the story that's being told. And I thought this actually would make a good movie. I could write this script. And I was like, if, if this becomes a movie, I'm I'm going to the New Wavo brothers and I'm going to say, hey, okay, here's the script. You guys, let's make this movie. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you this. If you write it, I'll read it. You got your two primary characters. The rest yeah. of the cast gets put together. And then what's the next step? Actually, the next step was we went out. We got their costumes. We messed them up. We we dragged them through dirt. We did all kinds of stuff to, you know, the clothes. Put our hands. How did you we do did. the teeth? I want to know how I'm you guys sitting did. here thinking about the teeth. I'm like, those teeth were so nasty. How did you get those <laughs> teeth so bad? Yeah. When we were doing research on makeup, it was one thing that, you know, I've seen in other films that kind of let me down where it's like, you know, a medieval film or just that and the other, but they have beautiful teeth. So we wanted to have a situation where they had horrible, horrible teeth. So we found this product. It was movie makeup. It was like a lacquer, a tooth lacquer. And it had different gradations of decay. Like it had like caffeine stains <laughs> all the way up to pretty much like you're beyond a Ruth Canal, you need to get your tooth pulled. Um, <laughs> so we, we played around with it and we thought it just brought a, an element of realism and authenticity to, to the makeup. You know, it would have looked ridiculous if he was filthy and had, because he had really nice teeth. This, he had a nice smile um, and it was super white. You know, being an actor in, in Hollywood in LA, he's got nice teeth. And there's snow white. So it would have looked ridiculous if his teeth were snow white. So from the get-go, we we decided that that was something that would really add a whole enhance, character. 
mm. the love. Yeah, you know, they say if you only have like a couple of, you know, if you have a small budget and you want to do something to make yourself look younger, you know, get your cheek whitened. It has a huge effect on your face, you know, on how you look. So, yeah, we, we got the makeup down, we got the clothes down, and then we had a few rehearsals at my house to work on blocking. I didn't want to have a situation where every confrontation they have, they're just standing still and it's just over the shoulder each time. Like I wanted to have movement in the scene and they're on bikes. So that's why, you know, anytime Cowboy was on his bike, there was a lot of movement. You would circle him, you would go around him, kind of like predatorial, you know, strutting his stuff like a peacock, especially the final confrontation when he goes around him. He kicks his bag and stuff like that. We worked on a lot of that stuff. Cowboy, Burtis, <laughs> me and Mike have footage for like proud parents for, uh, for teaching them how to ride a bike. <laughs> so we were working on some of that stuff. There was a lot of stuff that we thought initially like, ah, we didn't even think about it. This is where I'm getting back to the stuff that you're not thinking about, all the planning. We, we made the assumption that everybody can ride a bike, no problem, you know? So <laughs> Burtis needed some practice on his bike initially to be able to um, He almost fell into the lake at least twice. Oh it was my. a few times where we thought we, he was going into the drink for sure. <laughs> you know, very wobbly. I don't know if it was nerves or not, but the handlebars were bolted pretty tightly. But by the end of each day, like, the panel bars were just swinging loosely. Like he would like really like grip them and move them. And like, she was always playing with them. But yeah, we had stuff like that, like where we had to make sure he was comfortable on his bike. We had a few rehearsals with all the actors. Then it was, I believe July 8th, 2018 was our first day of principal photography in Long Beach. And it was like the hottest day of the year. The bikes, we wanted to do a lot more with the bikes. We have a lot more shots with the bikes and stuff like that. But unfortunately, being that it's a short film and a long short film at that, we weren't able to put more bike stuff. I, I, I think bikes are awesome. I love to see bikes in films. There's something very cinematic about a bicycle. Shot-wise, you've got some great shots, and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the, the movie with you guys here in just a minute. But what scenes did you steal from somebody else? There was some Kubrick, a lot of Kubrick-inspired horse perspective shots. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that we stole. They say <laughs> steal, steal from the best, right? The line where he says, my God, it's full of cans. That's just a rip from 2010 where you hear Dave saying, my God, it's full of stars. Nice. 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 That's um, good. Which is a great film. You know, I love Stanley Kubrick, and I think 2001 is awesome, but I, I thought Peter Himes' 2010 was awesome, too. So when you guys are out there, when you're out there shooting, you've both of you are there every day, right? Yep. And then you have whatever actors are in the scene, obviously. At, do you have, you get a boom operator? Some days. <laughs> Some days. <laughs> Quite a few days in the shoot, we had Brent Drubin, and Brent he also added music too. John Theodore, he provided a lot of original music and so did Brent Drubin. The uh, music where Joe's sitting on the beach, that's Brent's music. That's a Drubin. The first time where Joe's riding through and discovers the golden goose, as we call that's it. A Drubin. That's a Drubin. That's a Drubin. When he peeks in and sees the trash can filling up, that's a Drubin. <laughs> Uh, that was that was based on like a Willy Wonka whistle. Yeah, a Willy Wonka esque kind of having a whimsical um, a disco song where Cowboy is ridden by by Joe with the trash bags. That's a Drubin. 
little funky disco song. When he's shaving, is it driven? Uh, Rebirth, that was a great one. Yeah, so he was instrumental in not only helping us during principal photography, holding like the bounce board and stuff like that, and like making sure, you know, if we could possibly get sound, he would hold and record. Um, He'd befriend crackheads. He would befriend people. One of the cool things that we were able to do was that while we were there, like we always had like a cooler with food and drinks and stuff like that. We would give people food and drinks and everybody for the most part was copacetic. Like nobody ever gave us any trouble. And nine times out of ten, they just wanted to hang out and just see what we were up to. It was great to have Brent there because he was great at being very diplomatic <laughs> and it would allow us to be able to concentrate on the scene versus, you know, what are these people doing? Are they stealing our stuff? What's going on? And stuff like that. And they just wanted to talk. So they would talk to Brent while we were left <laughs> alone to be able to work on, you know, the shot and stuff like that. They'd ask Brent if, uh, do you want to go steal a car with me? That was one yeah, question like, I overheard. Like, yeah, Brent could have gone and got married to a chick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the thing. Like, there are people in your life that I'm sure everybody has those people that they can rely on. I hope they do because films, they, they require a lot of help. And it's very hard to pull off something with just two people. You're going to have to have people there. Filmmaking is like construction work with the tripod. You know, it's it's not fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. And just know that going in. That's something good for young filmmakers to hear, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> prepared to sweat. Yeah, it's definitely, as Mike said, it's very reminiscent of physical, laborious construction work. And you're using your mind a lot too. And you got to realize when things are not working in the scene. I guess like it's one of those things where people go off for like 20 years to become like present in a moment where like when you make films, you got to be present. And the more present you are, I think that's what separates the great filmmakers from the lackeys. I think guys that we really admire, I think they were super present during the whole process and got it done. Because there's times, man, as Mike said, it's it's like wrangling kittens sometimes. And it's like sand through your hands. And you're trying to accommodate all of these different things all in real time with the knowledge at the back of your head, too, that there's no guarantee that any of this is going to work. It's definitely a lot of work. And I would definitely say to anybody who wants to be a filmmaker, don't worry about it. Because if you really like your story, you'll, you'll do the work. But it's not work. It's not work like your mom tells you to go out and, you know, rake the lawn of the leaves and stuff like that. It's a different type of work and it's very satisfying. It's super satisfying. I can identify you. It's hard, long work that you love. Imagine that just doing it outside with bums out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so we've got production, we've got pre-production, we've got production. Now let's talk about the infamous post-production experience that you have. You've got roughly three and a half, four hours of footage that you've got to bring down to 30 minutes or so. And then what happens? Okay. So I'm pretty experienced in Final Cut Pro. I've been cutting EBS food review shows, everything you can imagine, smaller scale, probably 45 minutes at the most, you know, far less cuts. And uh, about three-fourths into the movie, we hit a wall. Um, Right at the cowboy 
Joe scene, the the confrontation scene, that's when that anomaly shows up. I'll let you go ahead. Well, what happens is it's not just 500, 600 cuts from the movie for the video. That's not a problem for my computer. What's happening is you have thousands and thousands of audio files for every everything you heard in that movie was put in by hand, meticulously slowing the computer ever so slowly. We learned after reaching out to Final Cut user groups that Final Cut has a brick wall around 2,500 files into a project, one library. Our entire timeline was like six, 7,000 files. So we, we had hit the wall. And this is not like a selling point for Final Cut. Now with 2,500 files. No, like they don't talk about that. That's, that's not really expressed. And it's probably not common. People don't have that many files in one movie because typically you would have sound recorded and you'd have one track opposed to 30 with the crickets, with the bites, walking, like all of that was meticulously put in by hand. So anyway, we, we hit a wall where Final Cut, A, couldn't play back the footage on the computer. B, put in a uh, ominous black hole in our footage right where the confrontation is, where Joe is kissing Cowboy's hand. It added a black bar of footage blocking out our footage over footage in the timeline and no matter what we did i've never seen it i restarted it i reached out to a gentleman uh named ronnie curtains who's like a high-end final cut guru and he was like i've never seen anything like this <laughs> and he yeah he was from belgium so we're doing skype like walk me off the edge uh meetings like what are we gonna do how are we gonna get out of this and he's like oh well, well i'll talk it to apple and we'll see if we can find a workaround and they never found anything so we had to rent a new top-of-the-line iMac with the built-in 5K monitor in order to finish this film because my 2012 Power Mac, which was maxed out, couldn't handle it. So that was luckily donated by Darren's brother, half like more than half the money, which was like five or 600, 500 bucks, I think it was. Luckily, that allowed us to circumvent the problem and put it on another computer. Then we had to bring all the footage over to another computer, all the files, all the editing, you know, all that stuff, which wasn't fun. So as you can imagine, me and Darren were pulling our hair out. You might've read Job in the Bible. That was a <laughs> um, lot of turning on each other. Me and Darren would like get mad at each other. And like, like, you know, who are you going to blame? Well, let's just blame the guy next to me. Okay, so one of the most amazing features of the movie is the soundtrack. I was really impressed with the quality. I mean, this is like a professional soundtrack. So given that you guys did this for $2,000, how did you get that done? Well, we knew coming into the film that music was going to be quintessential and that it's going to be an unseen character in the movie, but it tells you how to think, how to feel, and you definitely have to have good quality music. Otherwise, it'll take you out of the moment. Anyway, we went online and found some sources for um, online scoring. And we went through a few like interviews and a few uh, samples. And we let, we let our guy, John Theodore, give us, okay, here's the opening of our movie. Send us an example of what you would do for this. You know, we paint the picture of what emotion you're going for. And he nailed it out of the park, home run. You know, he just like, wow. And it, it turns out John Theodore, he studied under Hans Zimmer you know, from the great composer that's done things like Inception and Gladiator. And he's got a, you know, huge repertoire. So we totally lucked out. And he did about 70% of the soundtrack on top of our friend, Brent Drubin, who did the rest. But yeah, he, he came through big and we definitely couldn't have done the movie without him. He, we made him <laughs> deep, dig real deep into his uh, palette. You know, how do you make music about a homeless person 
you know what I mean? And it's kind of a Western too, and it's also urban, and it's also got a lot of uh, layers of what's going on there. So it's not your run of the mill soundtrack. You definitely wouldn't find this in any other film, very custom. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So you're saying that he created it specifically for your movie. This wasn't yeah. something that he had pre-existing. No. He watched We've, the movie just like any other composer and composed the soundtrack from what he was watching. We ran, we put him through the ringer. I mean, some versions were 20, 15 versions, redoing it, redo it. So we were very hard on him to get him to what we wanted to be. But once we broke him out of the shell, then he was off and running and he was... He was uh, very creative. He, he added things like elements of bike sounds and gears and jugs and things you would find on the streets. He put that in the soundtrack to supplement the music. So it became part of the environment and the music. So he probably hates us and he probably will never work with us again. But <laughs> I think, in my opinion, it really made the project the best it could have been. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a name for folks to remember, John Theodore. Yeah, very, John Theodore, You have this fantastic effect that takes place during the murder scene where the graffiti on the walls is of faces and the camera is kind of jumping into the faces as if they are the witnesses of this murder, the silent stone witnesses of what's going on. I thought it was beautifully done. Let me ask this. Was all of that graffiti already there? Did you guys do anything or were you just like, there it is, that's a perfect face? Well, to be honest with you, I had Darren sneaking at night and paint that mural. Okay. No, no, we got super lucky that everything you see on site was done by local artists from around the area. And Darren found all the locations, Google Maps and doing walks and doping things out. That's this call to fame. Part of it is he found all these places and he's like, oh man, you got to see these murals. He would take pictures on his phone. I think we incorporated that. Okay, we got to put that in based on that. So it wasn't, we didn't write that. We saw that and said, okay, we're going to take advantage of that. So right. that was just kind of serendipity. Right, Darren, am I, am I romanticizing that? Or? No, no, you're right. We we knew like we didn't have the budget to be able to pull <laughs> off something on camera that was brutal, nor did we want to. I said initially I would have liked the two grand just to have the flexibility to see what could have become of that scene if we went in that direction. But yeah, we knew that we wanted to have a situation like I think, you know, Alfred Hitchcock said, you know, that what you don't see is what's terrifying. One of the most effective things, as you said about Jaws, was that you don't see the shark. One of the most effective things about Alien is that you don't really get to have a good look at the alien for pretty much the whole film. But yeah, we wanted to use the art. And yeah, there's something haunting. eerie haunting, yeah, about those faces just staring blankly, so to speak. And that's the thing to young filmmakers, too, is that you got to use what's there and spending time finding good locations that's you know that's key this film could have looked like you know a really really bad student film very easily if we got lazy and decided to shoot in different places that didn't have that look our first golden goose house uh, where the golden goose was we were going to settle for a parking lot in a restaurant you know what i mean where can you shoot openly in public with somebody simulatingly getting murdered you know and that was going to be in san bernardino so that, that wouldn't have turned out well so we got there and we're like dude are we really going to put all this work into this film and shoot this scene here it is next to a red lobster <laughs> <laughs> don't settle always always keep looking and I use Google Map. I love Google Map. I spend a lot of my free time just looking around planet Earth on Google Map and stuff like that. And I found a lot of places on Google Map. And then I would drive there and check them out. 
And yeah, that was the best way to go about it for us was to kind of make sure that the place had that look and then we could work inside, you know, we could, we could kind of develop the scene even more. There was a lot of stuff that was on paper that even got more developed once we were there and it just enhanced the scene and made it that much better because we didn't settle. If we had settled, it would, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So once you got the rental Mac and moved your files over, was it relatively smooth at that point? Not really. <laughs> There's always problems. You know, you never know. Until you start doing something and you have a deadline, then you're going to start finding what the problems are. This is kind of uncharted territory. You know, next time I'd love to hand this off to somebody else to like make, that, make it their nightmare because we had to absorb all the problems one by one. A lot of time and effort to be side by side on a project for two years. It's impressive that you guys are still friends. Yeah, it really is. Actually, this is the first time we've spoke since we <laughs> All right, everybody, that is all the time we have, unfortunately. But be sure and go, if you haven't already, check this movie out on YouTube. You can visit their website at cannersmovie.com. Guys, I really appreciate you meeting with us and going through this interview process. You've got a great piece of work there. Thank you so much for, for letting us have some of your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Shirley. Uh, <laughs> <don't> <laughs> Shirley. We appreciate um, giving us a venue, giving us a place to talk about the art, our art. And we love your podcast. We're going to spread it like the gospel. We really think that you're on to something good there. It's what we grew up with the 80s and 90s. And uh, I'm glad that you guys are uh, doing something original and something well, well done. We look forward to meeting with you again soon when you're when you're big time. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hope. Thank you. Okay, take care, man. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, everybody. Please be sure and join us next week. We have a special Halloween series of episodes. Yeah, we, we are really excited. We're going to do Fright Night versus Lost Boys. These are going to be fun movies to talk about. Such great movies and perfect for this time of year. Can't wait to, wait to get into it. You or I may die by stereo sometime during the podcast. <laughs> We're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. This was a special one. I hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week. We get right back into our movie matchup. <laughs>